Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles this morning, open them to Mark chapter 3. A few things while you're turning there. I just want to emphasize uh, March 20th starts our next round of Dig Deep Institute. We'll be continuing our uh, study in apologetics. Um, we'll be looking at some individual, one, we'll be looking at the gospel and then how to defend that gospel in light of some, in a deeper way than what you've experienced on Sunday nights. Speaking of Sunday nights tonight, we're going to be talking about how to protect ourselves from legalism. Um, Legalism that creeps into our Christian lives and, and, and steals the joy of what it means to follow Christ. And uh, Mike, you're going to be with me tonight. Um, we'll be discussing that at 6 p.m. Is that the first time you heard that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, in, in your own mind, you think that you've told everybody, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, but we'd love to have you join us. Uh, there's also going to be a class, connections class, that will be, if you're interested about our doctrine, what we teach, what we expect from you, and what you should expect from us, uh, that is a class that you want to be a part of. Pastor Nate and Mike are going to be teaching that as well, and that starts on March 20th. Mark chapter 3, of course, the title of today's sermon is part 2. It's, it's meeting the demands of ministry. Let me read our passage before us, starting in verse 13. The holy inspired word of God reads this, and he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Barjonas which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let us pray. Father, what a joy it is to come to your word, to understand your heart, to see how you providentially not only control all things, but how things unfold. We think about your redemptive plan and how you brought it about and, and how you called your 12 apostles to be foundations for the church, this, this beautiful thing called the church where you have called out sinners from darkness and placed them into your kingdom, which we call church. And so, Father, we just ask that you would teach us this morning. Thank you for the Spirit to be able to help us interpret what's going on here and to be able to apply your truth to our lives. And so to you alone be the glory as we study these things. Pray that you be with your preacher. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, like I said, we began this studying this passage last week, and we noted a few things. And 
to some degree, I just want to give you a little bit and briefly mention before we take off where we last left off in verse 14. I, I think it's important to kind of get a context before we start launching into where we last left off. And so our passage marks really a turning point in Mark's ministry. You understand that the first three chapters leading up to this passage, that, that Jesus is pretty much on his own. He is displaying his glory. He is displaying the fact that he has come. He's healing people. The crowds are coming to him. They are pressing against him. The pressure was great, so much so that Scripture tells us that he had to go to the remote parts of the cities uh, or outside of the cities in order to get away from the people. But it was Jesus against as well, not only with the crowds of people, but also against the religious leaders of the day. We had already understood their heart. Their heart is, of course, to, to get rid of them. We see that in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. They wanted to destroy. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to remove him. He was a threat to their religious establishment according to their ways and their ideas. But it is these groups that pressed upon him from all sides. And it makes sense that the demands of ministry was heavy upon him. Remember, Jesus didn't come to, to heal and to show his divine power. All that he did do. But his main goal and objective was to preach the gospel that he has come to save sinners and atone for their sins. And I think that's a great reminder for us because too often the church gets caught up in, in, in anything but that message. And it's important to understand that that is the message that drives the church. That's why the church is still here. That is to preach Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, and call sinners unto himself. Call sinners that if you want to receive eternal life, this is the only way. And so Jesus is doing that. He's displaying his, this truth and the reality that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die, he's going to resurrect, he's going to ascend. But this was his message, and it was clear. We see that, of course, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this whole issue of, of, that he called people to the kingdom. He called people to repent. He called people to believe. All this, of course, is in the redemptive plan of God. You think about the Bible. I know Nate in his Thursday night Bible study is going through the redemptive plan of God throughout the Scriptures. This is where everything is pointing to. This is why we have four Gospels. The reality of, of the fact that Jesus has come and to save sinners and to redeem and establish an eternal kingdom. Of course, like you say, it must for you to be a part of that, you have to repent and believe and be a part of his kingdom. Now, knowing this eternal redemptive plan of God was to send Jesus to the cross and, and to send Jesus to die, to resurrect, and to descend back to heaven, it was the plan, it was always the plan of God to, to call apostles unto himself. Jesus knew that he was going to leave this earth, but yet he also understood that he came to, to lead the church in its place, which, by the way, he is the head of. In the process of all that, he needed to call 12 apostles. And what's remarkable about this, this God creator, this, this, this man God, who was fully man and fully God, he understood exactly before he even set foot on this earth, who, which 12 he's going to call. It's remarkable when you think about the 12 apostles and, and all that they were. And, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting to note when you study these things, which by the way, there are four lists that, that list the apostles, some of them in various orders, but they often, often started with Peter. But you have in, in Matthew and Mark, 
in Luke, and the other place is Acts chapter 1. And so you have these lists of these 12 apostles, and they all mention these 12 apostles, that they were sovereignly chosen by God. They were the ones whom Jesus, and that's what's remarkable about our text in verse 13, when Jesus goes up to the mountain, he summoned those, look at what the text says, those whom he himself wanted. And so Jesus has in mind, as, as he sets forth the ministry and the plan of God, the redemptive plan of God of heading to the cross, that these 12 yahoos were going to be his apostles, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Remember, he goes down in chapter, chapter 2. He's down there by the Sea of Galilee. He calls four fishermen. He calls these individuals. He called Matthew, the tax collector. Scripture says that he even appointed a zealot which was a, a guy who did not like the Roman oppression and was, was desiring to overthrow Roman authority. And, and he's calling these guys because he knows that they are going to be the ones that are going to establish the church. What's also remarkable about this is that, that these men that he called, they were outside of the religious authority of the day. We know that Jesus had problems with the religious leaders of the day, and he goes after their falsehood, how much they corrupted. Remember, he goes into the temple, he overturns the tables. Why? Because they took the house of God and turned it into a house of thieves. They were robbing the people. They were, they were playing on their, their, their thoughts about what it is to be righteous and holy, and the upcharged sacrifices for their own personal gain. And so Jesus is rocking the boat, rightly so. He is doing away with the, the, the religious establishment of the day and is establishing uh, 12 apostles that will rule the church, that will bring up the church. And these men were used mightily. Of course, we have inspired books by them. God used them in such ways. But when you, when you look at these guys, I mean, it's just remarkable. I mean, he chose fishermen, a tax collector, a, a zealot, and even a betrayer. All this in the plan of God. What's remarkable about Judas is that Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, but he chose him anyway. Why? Because of the plan of God. He knew and understood, and he gave all the, the rights of, of an apostle to Judas, knowing that he was going to be a piece in the redemptive plan of God. I think it's remarkable that Jesus didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go to the religious leaders of the day and said, give me your, your 12 finest. It's not what he did. He chose the nobodies, the outcasts of society. Which is remarkable when you, when you think about these things and you, you compare the list and you, you try to understand exactly what, what Christ is doing with all these things. He chose people that he knew needed to rely on him in order to display his glory. Now, immediately, I think as a, a preacher and a pastor, I mean, that stuff, application-wise, you think about yourselves. Who are we? that Christ would call us to be part of his kingdom and part of his plan. I mean, you've you got a, a, a nickname for a pastor. You've got a, a pastor bear who, who played baseball and, and was more involved in making sure I hit a little baseball than I was about anything else. And yet God rips him out of that scenario, saves him, and brings him to a place where now God uses us. And I think the reason we got to ask is why. Why me? Why you? And that is because we are nobodies, and God can show his power. He can display his grace. He can show his forgiveness of what he can do. That's exactly what he does with these 12 apostles. He, he chooses them. He brings them in. 
They are nobodies. They were outsiders. And he establishes the church with them. I mean, they weren't even highly educated. Do you think about the only one that really had some smarts about them was Paul later when he was called on the road to Damascus. These guys didn't go to school. They were hardened men who, who had faults, who had character issues, had, had all kinds of things going on. They weren't perfect. And that gives us great, great joy that our Lord himself could be a part in choosing our lives and bringing us in part of this kingdom so as to display his greatness and his, his goodness. And by the way, when you think about the 12 apostles and what they were commissioned to do, apostles literally in the Greek is meant to be the sent out ones. They were commissioned to proclaim the message that Jesus gave them, that he himself was preaching. And you think about from the apostles to where we are today and, and how that faith has transformed all the lives throughout centuries, and, and here we find ourselves today. We are a product of that faithfulness of those apostles, not perfect, but yet faithful men of God who, who shared Christ. And, and as that trickles down to us, people have been kind and faithful to us and shared Christ with us, and we're part of that legacy. But it doesn't stop with us, does it? We continue to share and proclaim Christ to others. We desire all men to come to know Christ as Lord, Christ as Savior. That continues to happen until he calls us out and removes the church. And so this gospel is preached, and the people are saved. Generation after generation have been handed down the gospel message that saves our souls, and that's why it's so important when you think about what is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to proclaim Christ and to equip the saints to proclaim Christ. And yes, we got benefits in that because we're in the kingdom of God. We got, we got evangelism happening. You got things going on. But you also have encouragement. You got exaltation of Christ within the midst of the body of Christ. This is what God wants the church to be. These 12 hardened fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, some of them we don't even know where the, Jesus called them, but he calls them by name. He knows exactly why, and for the purposes we will see here in just a second. And so what we saw last week in Mark 3.13 is that Jesus appoints, summons those whom he wanted. And I just want to remind you of that. Look at verse 13 again. He went up on the mountain, and we paralleled that with Luke chapter 6, where it says that Jesus prayed from, from death to dawn. In other words, he was praying all night. He goes up to the mountain. He calls or summons those he himself wanted. We notice the importance of that word summons in the Greek has the idea of authoritative saying, you come. It's like a dad when you have little toddlers and you tell them, you come here now. That's exactly what happens as Jesus is drawing these, these, these 12 apostles out of the group of disciples. It's a verse that, that points to his divine sovereignty over the situation. He is in control. And it's appropriate, and this is a little bit more new information here, but this, this is appropriate to ask why the 12. You can make the parallel of, of 12 apostles and, and 12 tribes of Israel. I think that's part of it, but I think there's more to it. And what I mean by that, if you look to the screen, Luke chapter 22, verse 28 through 30, gives us great clarity on why the 12 apostles. The context is that the disciples had a discussion on who is the greatest, who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. And they have this dialogue with Jesus. And Jesus responds in Luke 22, verse 28. He begins and says this, you are those 
who has stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And here's the key, and you will sit on the thrones. And the next word, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These apostles will be, have a place. Of course, this is a, in the context of the eternal kingdom. They will have a place where they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when you think about Jesus calling these 12 apostles, you insert that understanding back into this understanding of, of, of Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 22, and you understand exactly what he's doing. He calls 12 to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. We already know that Jesus has had enough of the religious establishment of the day. He's pushing them aside. He's doing something new with the church. And he puts these 12 apostles. Of course, we know Matthias replaced Judas. And these 12 will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? You think about it. Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders of the day was nothing but conflict. They didn't get it. Matter of fact, they called him what? The son of Satan. It makes sense that Jesus is removing them away from the eternal plan, redemptive plan of God, and establishing that which is, is good and holy and righteous by calling these 12 apostles. The rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, they missed the mark. They didn't see the hand of God move in calling this Messiah. Remember, they had an understanding of the Messiah as being somebody who's going to overthrow Rome and establish an earthly power and yet they got the second coming confused with the first. They oppose Jesus at every turn. They falsely accuse him. Of course, in the redemptive plan, that was all God's plan. He exposes their hypocrisy. He points to their corrupt and vile ways. And so Jesus brings a new covenant in his blood, establishes a new order, calls 12 apostles to be over that, and in turn makes them and points them to be judged over unbelieving Israel. This, of course, led us to the role of the apostles. We noted three roles, and we started to kind of look into this. We looked at the first one quite extensively, and that was the whole issue. If you look at verse 14, I mean, this is so beautiful. At the beginning of verse 14, he says, and he appointed 12 so that, and every time you see a so that, there's a reason why he's doing what he's doing, so that they would be with him, and that's the first role. He calls the 12 to, to come alongside him, to be with him, to, to have this relationship with him. We call that union with Christ. We spoke much about that last week. They are in Christ, and Christ is in them. That's true for the believer today. Christ is in us. And we are in Christ. The salvation that Jesus brings calls us out of darkness and into his light, and we are placed into his church where Jesus is the head, and we are in him. That is the sweet union that we need to remind ourselves, and that consumes us daily as we wake up from our days and we go about our lives knowing that Christ is in us and, and we are in Christ. Of course, I gave you many a verse to look at one to remind you that you probably are familiar with. 
But because Christ is in us and consumes us, he is our reality, he is our identity. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I mean, you think about the Christ and Christianity, the message of the gospel was, was this, bringing sinful man and making him reconciled through the means of Christ and bring him into the kingdom so he can have this relationship. He's not talking about establishing some kind of educated religious um, rituals that would bring good points to your status when it comes to heaven. He's talking about a cleared being sold out with Christ, knowing that I live for him just as he has lived for me. And we walk in his grace, and we walk in his forgiveness, and we walk in his mercies. So that was the first purpose, or role, of the apostle. It's true for us that, like I say, as we look at even our calling and, and, and receiving Christ, this is all about what's happening in our lives. But, of course, context of Scripture, this is what the 12 were going to experience. Now, the second role, and this is, like I say, where we pick up our study and that was he called them or to send them out to preach. It's remarkable to me. Something as archaic as preaching where a guy can stand before you for 45 minutes to an hour and you sit there patiently without sleeping listening to a preacher. I mean, this is God's method. This is his methodology. This is exactly what he calls the apostles to do. The Greek word here for, for preach is caruso. It, it has the idea to announce, to herald. It also means to speak loudly. That's why I shout at you sometimes. <laughs> they were to do what Jesus was doing, right? That was to preach. They were to preach, however, a message that was not their own. It was a message that was given to them, a message that Jesus Christ gave them. It was the message that Jesus would pass on to them, and to which they were saved by it. And that, of course, is the gospel message. The fact that Jesus died, resurrected, gave forgiveness, atoned for your sins, and ascended into heaven. Now, Paul sums up this gospel message for us, and he was so adamant about that. When you look to the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us a summation in those first five verses of that chapter. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance. I mean, here's the heart of what he preached. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. And so he, he points to the reality of the gospel message and the redemptive plan of Christ according to the scriptures. Everything in harmony. This is divine will and which was played out before them and before us. So the apostles preaching and every preacher after the ascension of Christ must preach Jesus crucified. Jesus resurrected. And that's what we do, right? He's the center of the church. He is the gospel message. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And then he appeared. I love this quote. When you think about preaching and preachers, I mean, I don't know how in the world did we get off the mark. The only reason I can say that, that we got off the mark is because people, men who are called preachers, are not reading the Bible. 
But great historian Hughes Oliphant, kind of an interesting last name, he states this. He says, we are truly to understand Christian preaching. We must have Jesus Christ as its center. He is both the pattern of preaching and the gospel to be preached, end quote. That's the simplicity. That's exactly what the pulpit's supposed to do. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. And, and for the saved, it shouldn't be a tiresome thing to hear about Jesus. For the unsaved, I think they get tired until they lay down and understand the significance of all that Christ has done and receive his grace and mercy, they will be tired of hearing the name of Jesus. But the whole purpose of reading scriptures, the whole purpose of a service in a church, the whole purpose of preaching scripture is to display Christ and call those who are hearing to worship him. This is what the apostles were sent to do. This is what preachers are called to do. And when Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, what do you find? I mean, you look at the, the Luke's, according to the, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, what they were doing. You think about chapter 2, Jesus ascends in chapter 1, Holy Spirit comes down. And what does Peter do? He gets up and he what? He preaches. He preaches. Acts 2 verse 14 says this, Peter taking his stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared to them. I mean, he just, just lays them have it. I mean, you look at these sermons. Of course, Peter being one of the, the lead men of the, of the apostles. I mean, he is the guy who, who opened his mouth real quickly, right? Often he inserted his foot in his mouth, but often he was bold as a lion to proclaim Christ. And so Peter rose and started preaching about what just happened with, with the coming of the, the rushing of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost. This is the example. You don't go to church for a social club type of meeting. You don't go to church in order to be entertained. You come to worship Christ. And if a church is not open the Bible and not preaching Christ, don't tell me that's a church. It's not. It's not. Jesus is our example. He is our understanding of what is to be preached. And it's all about him. The Apostle Paul states the importance of, of this preaching by, by asking some rhetorical questions. I think in Romans chapter 11, verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How in the world are we going to get this redemptive plan of salvation into the hearts of the people? And he goes on to say, And who will they hear without a preacher. A preacher. Of course, the answer is that they can't. They can't unless the preacher comes and reveals or exposes God's truth to them or somebody's able to, to share or proclaim Christ to someone. And this is how you identify a true preacher of God's word. He's going to preach Christ. He's going to exalt Christ. He's going to lift up high the name of Christ. He's going to make Christ famous amongst the people. He's going to point everything and everyone to Christ. I mean, this is what we desire here in this church, to preach Christ. We want God's truth so stamped upon your heart but that you can't help but obey. Why? Because God's truth is so stamped upon the preacher's heart that that's all he can say. 
And so the apostle role was to be with him, this union with Christ, to be amongst him. And of course, Jesus launching forward, he's going to spend a lot of time with his disciples to prepare them. And they didn't always get it right. He fought with their knuckleheadedness, did he not? But these men, Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 17, that they were men who turned the world upside down because they preached Christ, Christ crucified. Two, they were called to preach. We understand the message. We understand exactly the role of what that looks like. And then now three, they were given kind of an authentication that these are God's men by, if you look at verse 15, and to have authority to cast out demons. Every time God has moved within the pages of scriptures, he used it with signs and wonders and miracles. If you think about it, throughout the pages of history, calls his people out of Egypt, gives Moses what? Signs and wonders. Pharaoh finally has to bend, and God's glory is displayed. You think about Elijah. You think about Elisha. You think about the apostles, given the ability to cast out demons. I think of Matthew, this parallel passage. Not only was it to cast out demons, but Matthew 10.1 says that Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. I mean, this is what Jesus was doing already in chapters 1 through 3, and he's passing this along, saying, these are my guys. And what they're going to establish in light of giving them inspiration and inspired truth is going to be what you need to follow. I mean, God often showed and displayed his hand when he was moving with signs and miracles. You think about the virgin birth. You think about the resurrection. I mean, just littered with the hand of God all over it. A virgin birth, a resurrection from the dead, an ascension up to heaven. All these things are what God is doing so that why? So that we know what they are saying that is truly from God. What we read in, in Matthew 24, there are going to be many people who say that they are the Christ. But listen, they're not going to have the authenticating mark of God's power and authority. And which, by the way, all of God's appointed people, when God is moving and doing things, he gave them a message and they always, always, authenticated the message in which Jesus gave them. They displayed Christ in such a way, often what you say, and we see this on TV, right? People want to identify themselves as a Christ or the Christ, and they try to make a mockery out of the show of this power that they supposedly have. It's not the divine power that Christ gave the apostles. And so it must be something that we need to understand that they were not only called to be with him, not only called to preach, not only called to cast and heal out demons, but then to heal people. These are God's men. This is what he's doing. That was their role. And this is exactly what they did. After Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit descended, they preached. They recalled what Jesus had taught them. They were moved by the Spirit of God to write and pin things for us to understand exactly what the church was to be. And so we have letter after letter, epistle after epistle of what the church is to act like and, and think like and, and holding on to the doctrine and, and to function all because of these 12 apostles were called. Now, the names of, of the 12 apostles, I kind of want to just move through this a little bit. I mean, you think about all these things. There's a great resource, by the way, that if you're wanting a greater understanding 
of, of each of these individuals. Um, I saw it on our bookshelf in the back. It's by John MacArthur, 12 Ordinary Men. Great little book that helps you understand exactly what each apostle were, and he pulls together the scriptures, and he does a great job. And so I would reference these that as a resource to be able to draw out the scriptures and, of course, have your Bible open when you read a book by anybody else except the scripture, right? So you have your Bible open. But look at verses 16 through 19. Here, here come the 12. Again, showing his divine sovereignty over this, he appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to him, to them he gave the, the name Barjonas, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who was betrayed. I mean, this list that was repeated four times so we understand exactly who the 12 apostles were. I think it's important to note, this is kind of a, an informal list. It's not, you know, this is the, you know, Dr. So-and-so. This is, this, these are just common names. And you will notice that Jesus often changed the names of his disciples. He gave Simon the name Peter, which means rock. Why? Because Peter was going to be so instrumental in establishing the church, and he wanted to remind Peter that, that he was the one that was sovereignly chosen by God to be able to extend his plan. We think of James, the son of Jeb Zebedee, and, and you think about um, John, his brother, right? Sons of thunder. And I wonder, I mean, I, I think that these men probably had a voice that just thundered from heaven as they came and they preached and they proclaimed Christ. By the way, if you think about these nicknames, Thaddeus is a nickname. Uh, it's remarkable in studying this. I mean, don't name your son Thaddeus. Do you guys know what Thaddeus means? It means mama's boy. <laughs> do not, do not name your son Thaddeus unless you want to have him have a little bit of stigmatism throughout the rest of his life. These nicknames, I think it's informal because of the relationship that Jesus will have with him. I think that he's just showing us the relationship that, that, that is personal, that is, is something that is special. And you think about your own relationship with Christ, how special that is, where your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and how Christ knows you and you know him in the most intimate way. What I mean by that is he knows your heart, he knows your thoughts, he, he is shaping you, he knows your struggles. All those things we can see in this list as he calls them by name but they were going to be the foundation for the church. So much so, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, speaks about the church and these apostles. Look what it says there on the screen. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, or of God's household, having been built, what does it say there, foundation? You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in the dwelling of God in the Spirit. This is exactly what he's doing with his salvation, building his church, and the apostles had a great part in that. I think the simple question, what happened to them? I think you understand what happened to them. Church historians, if Cebius, others, tells us, Josephus, how these guys died. Eleven of them died. Peter, who's Crucified upside down, we know, according to Cebius, that he did not want to be crucified right side up like his Lord. 
So he asked to be inverted, crucified. The only one that wasn't crucified was John himself, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? Because God still had some more things to do with him. He writes the book of Revelation there. These are Christ's men. These are the men who turned the world upside down, and they were ordinary. They weren't anything special, but you know who was special? Christ in them. I can say much more can be said about each one of them, and it's kind of a remarkable study to do that when you think about it, looking at each one of these apostles and what he called and what we do know about them in the pages of scriptures. But I want to move with the time that we have left is to our takeaway, and it's, it's kind of on this. I've been kind of alluding to this throughout the sermon. We know that there's no more apostles. Why? Because in order to be an apostle, you must have been called by Christ, and you must have seen his resurrection. There's no new apostles, no new authority handed down to any other men, and so you don't have to obey the Pope, okay? Tongue-in-cheek. But there were 12, like you said, Matthias replaces Judas. Paul was called later. They displayed Christ's power in their life, their preaching. And of course, it was authenticated by power that wasn't their own, but Christ-given. But I want to drive home with you the importance that they were ordinary, that they were simple men, they were outcasts. Ordinary people living out the grace of Christ in their life. Now, you and I can identify with that, right? All that to say, you understand God has a plan and a purpose for you. It's not outside the pages of the Scriptures. It's within the pages of the Scriptures. That is to proclaim Christ and live for Christ. Pretty simple. And the reason why he calls us is not because of what we can offer the church or to his kingdom. He calls us so that he can display his power in weakened vessels. Do you understand that? You think about Moses. <laughs> that encounter with Moses... Moses is not, uh, I don't know how to speak. My grammar's not very good. Well, he sounds like me, right? He's just one of those guys. And he, and he pleads to the Lord, you need to bring, give me somebody. He gives him Aaron by the kindness. And Aaron's able to display and speak some things to him. But he calls us, warts and all. Yet in the power of the grace of Christ, he calls us to display his glory, to proclaim Christ to live in his grace and mercy. I don't know where you're at, but you might be thinking of yourself as, as being a failure in the kingdom of God. Listen, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're something special to him. You have a worth that's far more important than what the world is, is telling you. You have an eternal purpose. Why? Because for eternity, because of Christ and his righteousness and because of his blood shed for you, you will spend eternity with the king. And he desires to use you. I mean, think about Peter. Denied Christ three times. You talk about, you know, trying to get a new employee, that might have been a good time to do that. But again, Christ in his grace is able to, in his resurrection, restore Peter in such a way and says, you know what? Peter, feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. 
continue to be the man of God that I've called you to be. I mean, what, what, what great truth. What great truth. And I guess the reason is why. Why does God do this? Why does he call ordinary people? Why does he call you and me? Why did he call the 12 apostles? I want to leave you with this passage. You can look to the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us the wisdom of God. It reads there, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, you preach Christ to people, they think it's just a joke, right? Uh, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I mean, what a great passage to understand why. I'm okay to be called a rockhead, I'm okay to be called a nobody. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus, who is faithful, who has power, who redeems, who has my future figured out. He is my Lord. And I pray that he is yours. Life will not make sense to you. Life will be a mess until you repent and you believe in Jesus. I say that with experience. Christ is King, Christ is Lord, Christ is Savior. Amen? Father, again, thank you for the day, stirring our hearts towards your truth. We rejoice in the kindness of of your word, your grace, your mercy. We see it displayed often, not only in our individual lives, but when we look at the 12 apostles, we can't help but smile on how you chose these men to be the foundation of the church. You called them unto yourself. You called them to preach a certain message. You called them to display the power of that message through signs and wonders. Without a shadow of a doubt, we knew that these are your guys carrying on your redemptive plan and your purposes on this earth. What is left by the grace of God is this is what this institution you call the church. Where we find ourselves here this morning. Of course, church is not a building. It's the called out ones, the ones who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we gather at this place as the church, desiring to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, to continue to, to, to proclaim and throw seed of the gospel that saves people's lives, knowing that you are the one who, who redeems and saves and draws. And so we love you. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to display your power and your might within our souls. May we continue to be transformed as a new creature that you called us to be. 
where the old things have passed and behold, new things have come. Let us continue to draw closer to Christ. Why? Because the day and the days are drawing near. May you find us faithful when you call your church home or when we take our last breath. May the testimony of those around our life be one that says that person proclaims Christ unto his death. Find us faithful. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ who has given us life and given us hope. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.